Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. Once again, I am your host, Christina McAteer, and on behalf of Brown Emergency Medicine and the Brown Emergency Medicine blog, we welcome you to Money Minutes for Doctors, the financial podcast focusing on physician financial wellness. And we again welcome our featured guest, Ms. Catherine Vestas. Catherine is the CEO of MD Financial, a firm focusing on physician wealth management and physician finance. How are you today, Ms. Catherine? Oh, it's another great day. Thanks for asking. How are you today? Well, always living and learning and excited to hear what you have to teach us today. I see the topic of today is baby steps toward financial freedom. And I think this is so, so relevant, um, really at any point in our life. I just want physicians to own their financial health. So to your point, they have freedom and I literally worked a shift last night and (laughs) male physician, he was the breadwinner of the family, had a stay-at-home wife with three kids, and uh, he's a little bit younger than I am, and he was joking that he's going to be working ER shifts till he's 85 (laughs) with uh, the amount of student loans and mortgage debt and anticipated cost of of raising three young children. So help us out, Catherine. Why is financial freedom important, and what do we do to get there? Well, first of all, let me define financial freedom. Um, And I think every client that we have has this as an ultimate goal, but they may not have articulated it to themselves. So I think it's very important to think clearly about what what is financial freedom. Financial freedom to me is having the financial wherewithal that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, and with whomever you want. That to me is ultimately financial freedom. I like that very much. Who wouldn't want a life full of choices with no limitations? It's perfect, right? And I do think it's possible to get there. Now, your, your, your next question was, why is it important? Well, basically, a couple thoughts here. I don't think in my entire life I've ever seen doctors as stressed, unhappy, depressed, and anxious as I see current doctors. It's really it's really astonishing. As you knew, I grew up in a medical family and life for doctors back in the day, that day compared to today is just much, 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 much different. Wouldn't you agree? I do. And actually, as I was driving into work this morning, I was hearing the latest inflation numbers. So thankfully, not as bad as they were last year. However, inflation is real. And I know when I go to work, I'm certainly not seeing annual pay raises in the 5 8% that inflation is. So are our doctors actually poorer than they have been in years past? Well, I had one radiologist say to me early on when I started devoting my practice just to doctors, he said, we are the poorest rich people in America. And I thought that was a great definition. And part of this is because, you know, I'm in the process of writing my rich doc, broke doc book. And my editor wanted to add as a, like a tagline to the book, doctors, you're not as rich as you think you are. And I do think that's a big part of the problem is they grew up thinking doctors were going to be far richer and have a lot more financial reserves than the current reality. I think that's fair. You know, you go through residency and then you get this huge jump in your salary when you become an attending However, after that, I'm not sure you really see many changes and particularly thinking about how physician groups are organized as an employment structure, the way that medicine is becoming corporatized. I think 
options for doctors to really reap the benefits of their initial investment are becoming few and far between. Right. Which does get me back, though, which is topics we've had in in, in, uh, previous podcasts about some of our doctors have really learned how to monetize their education and certain side gigs. So it's astonishing to me how many uh, doctors we've got doing side gigs that they love that are pretty easy, that are making 100000 or more a year just from the side gigs. So there are things that you can do to increase your income. I love it. But how can we start today? What are the baby steps that we need to take so that we can reduce our financial stress and, and reach financial freedom? All right. Well, let's start with a fairly simple one, and that is monitor your spending um, honestly, you know, I come from a, from obviously a financial family and a medical family. My sweet husband allows me to do all of our personal financial work. And I ask him one day, well, how much do you think we're spending on our Amazon bill every month? And he goes, oh, he gave me a number. And it was actually, he had underestimated what we spend on that by 75%. And the guy is a math genius. So I think think that monitoring spending is really important. There was one study that said that people who actually tracked their spending spent 17% less. And that's huge. When you think about that can really come to 10, 20 or $30,000 or more per year for doctors if they just started tracking what they spend. Yeah, obviously, we always make the statement that decisions start with knowledge. So I suppose if you have an awareness of where you're spending, you can then make some decisions for what your goals might be. Right. I was just having a conversation uh, like this yesterday with with a couple that was really, really terribly underwater. And I started the whole conversation with what's most important to you. And in their case, the most important thing was they wanted to educate their daughters. They wanted to put them through private elementary and private high and private high school. But they had a side business in their case that was actually losing money hand over fist. And I said, well, you're really making a choice then that this side business that's losing money is more important than you're educating your daughters because you can't do both. And they were like, it was kind of a shock to kind of think of it as an either or. But every choice we make, you know, is either going to get you closer to financial freedom or away. Now, the key thing, though, is how to monitor. I have had a couple of clients who literally monitored all their spending on spreadsheets. I find that very tedious. I can't do that myself. If you can, God bless you. Go do that. Uh, how to monitor, though, there's some online tools like Mint that are that are free. There's um, another one that some of our clients called uh, You Need a Budget. And that's, there's a small charge for that. And that really kind of helps aggregate that. So you don't actually have to track it so much, but you can just have this software do the um, do the calculations for you. Or then we provide a tool for all of our own clients that, that, we can, that they can do that so they can track how much they're spending. Excellent. Well, certainly in the digital age, um, I'm sure there's an app for that. <laughs> so I uh, appreciate those suggestions. And it sounds like that would be, a uh, helpful little exercise, perhaps maybe not a lifelong commitment, but even if you just use that to monitor your spending, even for a few months or a couple years, um, to make sure that you're on the right track might be helpful. I think that's exactly right. It's a huge wake up call because we do this very often with our clients when we start a relationship with them. We run through a monthly cash flow analysis, and very often they're shocked 
when they look at the numbers and see how much they're spending. And we can talk a little bit later about how to reduce some of those areas. But I think, you know, go home tonight and ask your partner, your significant other, yourself, okay, how much am I spending on my credit cards every, every month? And then going in and checking it. And you might be pretty surprised. Well, it certainly does have a way to get ahead of you if you let it. And all I need to do is look at my inbox of hundreds and hundreds of emails with various enticing offers every day. And you can see how that might might become your reality. So don't fret, but it sounds like be fiscally minded and be disciplined and you can get yourself out of any difficult situations. Exactly. I've never seen the impossible situation. Excellent. So you have up here next the multi-million dollar mindset. Talk to us about what that is and how that can help our listeners. Yeah, I think it's important to commit to the fact that you want to be a rich doctor. There's nothing wrong with being a rich doctor. To me, being a rich doctor means you have an abundance of time, money, sleep, energy, and of course, course finances. And in order to get that multi-million dollar mindset or the rich doc mindset, I think the first thing you have to do is make an agreement with yourself that you're going to pay yourself first, no matter what. Or as we say in Texas, come hell or high water, we are still paying ourselves first every month. Now, what I mean by that is that the first draft from your checking account every month after payday goes to your savings and investments. And then you spend what's left. Because let's face it, if you do the other way around, it's not going to work. If you wait till the end of the month to see what you have left over, I've got a lot of clients that are naturally frugal. Yeah, they're going to have some money left over. But the clients that are strapped are never going to have the money left over because they're, they're spending a little bit more than they're making. So we have to make this a commitment that they do the first thing every month. So you're saying as soon as you get that paycheck, go ahead and make sure that you're depositing that into your savings or whatever investment strategy you've chosen and then go ahead and tackle what your monthly obligations might be. Exactly. And I can, I've got a quick little formula that I use for doctors that are kind of in financial trouble. So if, if they're feeling really strapped, here's one way to think about this. And once again, this gets back to baby steps. We take 10% uh, of your take-home pay, and that goes to long-term savings. I, I call that the put and keep account. We put money in it and we keep it there. Long-term savings for most of us are going to be retirement, financial freedom. Some may be for college, educating their kids for college. The next 10% would be a put and keep account. This is um, like an emergency fund. Um, you know, I'm amazed clients are always like, oh my gosh, I had to take my kid to the emergency room because he broke his leg and I had my HSA and it was a couple thousand dollars or the roof's leaking and they're like surprised with these expenses. You shouldn't be surprised with these. They happen. Christmas is not a surprise. It happens every year. You know, you're going to have more expenses for presents at Christmas time, right? So put 10% in every month. You're going to put money in this account and you're going to pull it out when the water heater breaks or you need new tires or whatever. Then Another 10% goes for clients who are prepaying debt. And by prepaying, I mean, if your minimum payment is X, this might be X plus 20% or X plus 50%, just so that you can get out of debt and stay out of debt. I'm talking about high interest rate debt here. I'm not talking about low interest rate or mortgage issues. So that would not involve mortgages or student loans or maybe even a car, you're more hinting at credit card debt, it sounds like? 
Well, credit card debt for sure. It could be a car. It could be student debt. If your student debt is a high interest rate, like maybe six, seven percent and above, it could be that. If it's a two or three percent, I wouldn't do it. But higher interest debt. A, a real good goal, of course, is to be debt free and completely debt free by the time you retire, meaning not even any mortgages for most for most clients. So prepaying that debt is important. And then the key then is living on 70%. Now, what goes into that 70%? Well, your mortgage payments, your rent, your car payments, uh, the kids' schooling, um, trips, your annual vacations, fixing the roof, new furniture, clothes, whatever it is, all of that goes into that, all that goes into that 70%. And in this, just to be clear, this is off of your gross income, not your after-tax income. No, I would say this is after okay. tax. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. It's an af- after your after tax. So, for those clients that don't have to prepay debt, then they've got an extra ten percent that they could be putting to long term savings, or you know some other big project around the house or whatever they want. So this is one of the techniques we use for doctors who are having a hard time thinking about how do I get out from under debt and get some sanity in my life. Excellent. And it sounds like that that's something um, that you would work with certainly clients of your firm to approach, but even something that you could simply put together some numbers at home if if listeners wanted to try to execute this strategy individually. Yeah, I think it's great. And they, they where they get into trouble, we'll be talking about this in just a minute, is the discretionary spending, particularly houses. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. You've got to think in terms of how can all, all of my housing costs, not just the mortgages, how can that fit into my 70%? Because what happens is, as we'll talk, is if you've got more, that discretionary gets out of bounds, then you don't have the 10, 10, 10 that you need to, to uh, have margin, to feel like that you've got the, the multi-million dollar mindset. And it can be extremely painful to be able to do that. Now, some of our clients are in such horrible, horrible financial shape, they can't do 10, 10, 10. Well, for them, it might be five, five, five. I'm just, you know, do something that you can get started with to get out of the hole. Perfect. And I think that's a good reminder, you know, in that just because you may not be able to do the 10, 10, 10 doesn't mean don't do it at all. Maybe it is a smaller percentage. But to your point, just get started. Kind of like training from the couch to 5K, right? You don't have to do the 5K on day one, but you just have to get started. And then as you go along, it becomes easier and easier. And of course, when habits become routine, and then life is just blissfully easy, right? <laughs> it's a ton easier. I don't know if blissful, but it's a ton easier. So you talk a little bit about discretionary spending. I think sometimes that can be a little bit challenging for doctors in that what's needed and what truly is uh, the extras of life. How do you approach that and, and help our doctors develop a mindset to healthy ways looking at their spending? Yeah, I would say it's a discretionary spending that really tanks a lot of doctors. So here's the biggest problem. Um, they're house poor. More and more are getting car poor. Amazed at how many doctors want that $80,000, $100,000, $120,000 Tesla or some some other car. Um, that's great when you can afford it, but maybe not if you're if you're struggling. So house car, car poor. Restaurants, eating out, 
really uh, tanks a lot of doctors. I have had clients spending $2,000 or more a month just in restaurant bills and takeaway and travel and then hobbies. So those are kind of the major areas uh, to be thinking about. Excellent. Yeah, I think back to the times of COVID when there was no travel and obviously it was nice to hear on the news when they would report that the average American was getting ahead of their credit card debt and starting to put some into savings. But now that travel is wide open, that doesn't seem to be happening quite as much anymore. <laughs> You're right. I can remember one, I think this was an emergency med doc, and during COVID, she miraculously found $8,000 every month in her extra that she was spending on travel and this, that, and the other stuff. 8000 a month. Yeah, think about that. You know, so I would encourage her, yeah, I want you to have fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I want you to live like a nun or a monk. Um, but maybe you take 6000 of that and you set it aside because you're paying yourself first. And that other 2000 you use for discretionary. What's fun for discretionary for you? Well, for you, it may be a new stand-up paddle board. For somebody else, it may be takeaway. Uh, somebody else, it may be, may be travel. So I think the, key, the thought here is you need to act your wage. Or as my editor said, most of our doctors are not as rich as they think they are. And one way to do that is to think about ways to cut back your spending that doesn't significantly impact your lifestyle. I think of it as kind of like a game. Yeah. So I see here you have some quick tips here. What are some successful strategies that you've found that really help our clients get ahead? Well, a lot of our doctors, as you know, like to take really elaborate trips. They want to go to New Zealand, Vietnam, Iceland, you know, they want to take these very, very, very expensive trips. By the way, I'm not against that. Don't get me wrong. I love those trips. But some of them are doing two or three of these a year. I would suggest New Zealand is still going to be there next year and Iceland the year after. So maybe instead of doing two trips like that, you do one really nice trip and then one trip closer to home where you're maybe on a bed and breakfast, you're camping, something less expensive, but still a lot of fun. So you can uh, recreate, you can revive and refresh yourself. So that might be one way to be looking at it. It's still a lot of fun. It's just not as expensive. Um, another is restaurants. So, a number of years ago, um, my husband was diagnosed with really severe celiac disease. And this is a difficult illness to eat out with. <laughs> and what happened was we ended up eating out very, very little, which had some great benefits. A, we were eating much healthier. Uh, B, it was a ton less expensive. And then if you're like me, they don't teach cooking in law school. So I ended up taking some cooking classes and learning how to cook some really, really gourmet things at home. And that I found worked great. Um, when we do go out to eat, we're, we're careful. I typically, we rarely order drinks unless I'm entertaining clients. I figure it's, you know, uh, liquor, of course, is one of the ways that uh, restaurants make a lot of their money. So if you want a drink, have your glass of wine at home before you go or um, something afterwards. Um, we also I discovered this very recently, very often now, because we don't, we're not drinking cocktails at a restaurant or wine. I'll ask for uh, sparkling water. Some restaurants charge for sparkling water and some do not. So recently I've learned, I don't even ask if they, I ask them up front, 
say, do you have a charge for club soda or sparkling water? And if they say no, great, I order it. If they don't, I just have regular tap water. And then I typically recommend don't get desserts at there. That's also a place that the very, very high markup, have your desserts at home. And sometimes you can order one meal and split it with your partner because you know these food servings over time have gotten absolutely huge. Yes, I think that's always a good tip. And then you can leave the restaurant feeling satisfied and you had an enjoyable night out, but you didn't overindulge to the point that you feel ill and have to have some recovery time on the couch. So another benefit (laughs) in that way. (laughs) Yes, and you're keeping your calories down too. You know, it's it's, it's all good. Excellent. And then another thought I sometimes use is I recommend clients have um, an account, just a discretionary spending account. And that's for maybe sometimes I call it a fun account. Uh, It could be for things like taking your kids golfing, skiing, boating, whatever that may be, uh, other trips, um, going to the theater Whatever is really, really fun for you. Um, New furniture even. And that's one way to help keep the discretionary spending under control. So let's say you're allocating yourself $2,000 a month in your fun account or your discretionary spending account. If you want to take that trip to New Zealand and there's money in the account, great, go to New Zealand. If not, wait a couple months. Ditto with the new furniture. If there's money in the account, great, spend it. And if not, wait a couple months until you can build it up. So you don't have to put things on credit card and go into debt for these expenses. Excellent. And I know we had talked in a previous podcast that does not mean don't use your credit card. Certainly, if you have special rewards programs or something that's an advantage, go ahead and use the credit card, but then just be sure that you have the money in the account to transfer the payment directly over. Right. And I have been known, as as we've talked before, I very often will make a big uh, purchase and then I will immediately go and transfer the money to to pay it. Or sometimes if I know I'm going on a trip and I know I'm going to be spending a lot of money, I might even prepay the credit card. Now, I know there's some people out there that are going, oh my gosh, that's horrible. In the past, there was so little interest on your money at, at the bank, it didn't really matter. And even now, a lot of bank accounts and their checking accounts aren't paying much interest. So I don't feel like you're losing a lot to be able to do that. So it's something to be thinking about if that helps you. Excellent. So it sounds like a little financial or fiscal discipline in that you're going to track your spending, but you're also going to take the time to set up these discretionary accounts. And to that point, if the money's not in there, you're not buying it, you're not traveling, (laughs) you're going to have to show a little restraint and a little more discipline. And I know those in medicine can do it because we've put in all of that work and all that delayed gratification. So (laughs) just keep going with those habits. Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. Those are some great tips. I do want everyone to achieve financial freedom because I see the stress of of having financial burdens, the lifelong, um, the weight that that is on our doctors and certainly with the practice of medicine and, and how much things are changing. I don't want our doctors to be any more stressed than they have to be. So any closing thoughts or, or last tips for us as we close this? Yeah, thanks. I've got a couple of things. I've got some closing thoughts, but before that, some quick tips. And these are some things that I do personally that might help our audience. So one is I do meal prep. It's not unusual on a Sunday for me to uh, to pre-cook most of our meals for the week. 
I do uh, breakfast, lunches, and sometimes even dinners. Doesn't bother me to eat the same dinner two or three days in a row, so that does that does help. And then we freeze what's not there. The advantage to this is not just that it saves money, but I also found that it had the added benefit of reducing my A1C down to five point two and getting my insulin into the threes. So hey, there's there's some other advantages from from cooking your own food. Excellent, I love it. And then in vacations, we typically rent an Air, uh, Airbnb or vacation rental by owner. Uh, and even there, we do cook a lot of our meals at home. I will say that when we're on vacation, we do eat out. That's kind of a big treat for us when, when we're traveling. But with some of those meals, we eat at home to be able to save. And then regarding cars, I really believe in nice cars. But fortunately, I'm married to a gearhead who's really good at choosing the right cars and keeping them uh, in fantastic in fantastic shape. I'm currently driving a 200, uh, 2014 BMW, and I love it. It handles really well. And it's, I, every time I get into it, I'm excited because it's completely paid for. And I think that's awesome. Excellent. Well, that makes me think of a quote that you had said many years back where it was something to the effect, you want to look rich or be rich. So <laughs> if you're spending all your money on the fancy cars, chances are that means you're not saving. But if you can find a way to be happy with a car that has a little bit more life in it, then you can save and you will end up as the rich doc. Absolutely. So to summarize, one of the best ways you can reduce your overall stress today in your entire life and prep for a much better financial future or financial freedom is just to get a good handle on your finances, track your spending. Uh, Second, act your wage. Uh, You're not as rich as you think you are. Make sure that you are spending less than you make every single month. Start saving today, no matter what. Just say, I don't care what happens. I'm putting a little bit aside. It may only be a couple hundred dollars if you're young. It may be thousands if you've been practicing for a couple years. Then look for those easy peasy ways to cut spending that doesn't really cut your enjoyment. And then use that discretionary account to avoid overspending. And then get on and enjoy your life. I love it. Well, no better time to go enjoy life than in these beautiful summer months. So with that in mind, I encourage our doctors to get out there, enjoy life, take a walk in the park. That doesn't cost anything. (laughs) You can bring your own water bottle and then you don't have to worry about being enticed to spend money at the ice cream shack on your way out. But uh, to your point, financial freedom is essential to living a stress-free life. So, Catherine, thank you for your tips today and thank you for your time. Listeners, we appreciate you joining us today. And for myself, Christina McAteer, signing off on behalf of the Brownie and Blog and Brown Emergency Medicine, thank you for joining us for this episode of Money Minutes for Doctors. Be well. Grab that cash with both hands, then make a stash.